up, listeners? This is Samai here from The Unsexy Startup. Before we get into this episode with Unicast, I would like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Brex Credit Card, the world's first corporate credit card for startups. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So just want to dive into the questions and of course, just want to go over the topic again. It's about finding your market segment before funding runs out. I feel this is a huge problem at the pre-seed and seed stage um, and where most startups die. Um, so, I mean, you know, where did the idea of Unicast come from? How did you, how did you decide to like burn the ships and focus on this full time? Yeah. So just going to give a bit of, uh, background. So I started Unicast about four years ago with my friend and co-founder KJ, and we actually worked together the last, I would say 10 years or so. We, we went to business school together and we were also part of the founding team at the music streaming service named Tidal that was uh, acquired by Jay-Z, the rapper Jay-Z, four years ago. So we very much kind of built out the whole music streaming category together with uh, Spotify. It never it never became kind of the same success as Spotify obviously uh, managed to do, but it was an unbelievable journey to kind of build out a completely new uh, category. And it was about like, was like four or five years into Tidal uh, where the idea of Unicast started because... Um, as you can probably imagine, at, Uni- at Tidal, we knew every single song that people listened to, right? This was a music streaming service, and based on all that data, we made playlists, recommendations, and so on. But what we really want to figure out is where do people go to concerts? Because if you went and saw, let's say, Beyonce on a Sunday, we want to recommend you Beyonce music Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And the challenge was that, and keep in mind this was four, four years ago, we couldn't get access to, to that kind of data. Like, no one had a very good overview or a good picture of what people are doing in the physical world. Of course, what you did online, every single click was kind of carefully captured, but concerts you went to, that, that no one had that type of info. And we looked a bit deeper and said, well, actually, no one really knows what people are doing in the physical world. People, people don't know where you are shopping, restaurants you go to, airports you travel to, etc. And that's when we decided to build out uh, Unicast. We said, well, if a small streaming, music streaming service out of the Nordics need this data to build better products, we believe that there are multiple companies in multiple verticals that also need to understand human mobility, like how people uh, spend their time on the surface of, of the earth to either build better products or to make better decisions. And, and that's how Unicast started. And ever since, uh, since then, we've been focusing on being a human mobility data company Focusing again on how people spend their time in the physical world, where they live, where they work, places they go to, restaurants, museums, and then provide that data to other companies so they can improve both decision-making and improve products. And that sounds interesting. I mean, two questions to that. First, I mean, uh, when you're at Title, how was it working under Jay-Z? I mean, were you one of the founding employees there or what? What? when did you come in at Title? So we came in maybe like 10... Yeah, around 10. KJ was earlier than me. KJ was like very, very early. We had worked together for many, many years. He, he brought me on board to head the partnerships and the business development part of, of, of Tidal. We, that, uh, we never uh, got to work under Jay-Z. We left the company uh, like almost the same month as the acquisition happened. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, and, and you, you wanted to create a platform, which is now Unicast, which, yeah. you know, compares real life data to human behavior versus their online data. Um, 
it seems pretty interesting and challenging early on that I'm sure at Precede to pitch VCs on this idea or to pitch investors or even customers. How are you able to pull this off where you can get this real life data? Yeah, so then one, one of the challenges that we, we faced was that we were very early. Like we were really early about wanting to understand human mobility and that was challenging from a few perspectives because in the early days of Unicast, no one really understood what human mo- mobility meant. No one really understood the use cases for the data, and no one really understood like how to get access to where we are, we have to get access to to the data. So I would say like from the Unicast uh, piece, we have done a lot of work on education, like educating the market, educating the ecosystem has been a huge part of I would say the first year year and a half, and it still is. And that is one of the learnings that we took from uh, from Tidal. And not not many people know this, but Tidal and Spotify started more or less the same time. So Spotify out of Sweden, Tidal out of out of Norway. But one thing that we learned was that Spotify managed to become synonymous with music streaming service. And I think if I ask 100 people on the street in New York, I say, "What's the number one music streaming service?" They will name uh, Tidal. No, sorry, they will name uh, Spotify. So, but we, we never focused that much on leading the category. And that's something that Kate and I said to ourselves when we started, started Unicast that there's two things we want to do. We want to move quickly to the US. It's the number one market. We didn't do that at title. And second, we have to make sure that we own the, the, the category. So, I think this is something that um, I will kind of recommend everyone that is starting a new uh, company, especially in an undefined uh, category. You, you really can't underinvest in educating the market, educating the clients, educating all the stake, uh, stakeholders and the ecosystem. And that takes a lot of the, the dedication. And it's hard because you, you don't see those results immediately. It's not like pulling off a deal and you can kind of recognize the revenue. Like you will see that uh, effort be paid off gradually over time. It, and speaking of, you know, educating the market, what were some of the most unsexiest challenges or moments you've experienced growing your business? And how did you react to these times? I know, you know, not again, you had to educate the market on human mobility. I mean, I didn't know much about it really in depth until I looked into Unicast as well. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there was challenges along with that, but just in general, what do you feel was like the unsexiest or most challenging time? To be honest, I feel like a lot of the stuff that we are doing is very uh, unsexy. And the stuff that I'm doing on a daily basis is also very uh, unsexy. And even though kind of the company is now close to 50 people uh, strong, I think this is, this is something you just have to understand as a founder, like starting a company. You, you just have to deal with all the unsexy uh, tasks and projects and challenges that you have to have to deal with. I do believe that a lot of um, early founders, uh, CEOs, they glorify the startup life a bit too much. Uh, they think that this is all about doing the fun stuff and they are their own boss and they can do whatever they they want. But I just see that in kind of KG, my co-founder, and I we share very much the same that it is usually all those unsexy things that makes the company successful. If it's making sure that you have a very robust onboarding program for new hires, that that takes time, like to get uh, to get right. And again, I I usually kind of define unsexy things as things that you don't see results from immediately, because you have to do it. Uh, it might be boring. 
Uh, you might not understand why, but if you do that multiple times consistently, that's when it starts to yield, yield results. So I don't have like a few few specific uh, specific examples, I would say, because I think there's so much of my daily life that I would view as unsexy, but as I, that I know that it's critical uh, to make the company into what we want it to be. And I know there's so many examples. I mean, probably even today you're going to be putting out fires, I'm yeah. assuming. Um, do you just get, you do you just get used to it over time or like, is it, is it, is there a pain threshold that you just move past or like, what is, what is that like? I mean, is it kind of just like a shoulder shrug now and like, all right, let's take care of it. Um, how is it now compared to before? Right. With like yeah, how to I handle say, it. Well, you, like, you definitely have to be uh, able to uh, cope with a lot of fires, a lot of uncertainties. Uh, but to me personally, I would say the biggest challenge uh, development-wise as a first-time founder and CEO has been to let loose of control. Because, you know, initially you are five people, 10 people in the company, you know exactly what's going on. You know that if something happens, it's very easy that the CEO just steps in and gets it done. But now we're at the point where like, I, I'm not the best, best person to solve this. I can see the challenge, I can hear about the, the, the challenge, but it's not my skills that will make us succeed. And I think like, like just giving up that control, uh, it took me almost a year around when we kind of grew from like 20 to 30, 35 people uh, that I needed to work on myself and say, okay, Thomas, like you're not the best, best one to uh, do this. There are other people in the company that have a way better experience and way better uh, background to deal to deal deal with it. So I think that lose lose control is something that um, yeah I at least had to kind of go through a few phases with myself to be comfortable with that. It's so interesting you say um, you know letting loose of control. Actually, that's never even spoken about on this podcast as well, and it'll probably be a topic for another yeah. podcast down the road. I mean. It, I, I was speaking to, so here's an example. I was speaking to a, a pre-seed founder yesterday as a VC, and this is a, this is a close friend of mine, but he was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell investors what, what I can do. And I'm going to tell them what I can believe in and that what I can do. And that like, I'm going to tell my team the same thing when we're growing. And it's like, yeah, but I was like, to a point, it's like, you got to give up control because, you know, you're supposed to hire smart people yeah. to tell you what to do as well. You know, it's like, it's not just. If, if you always assume to have that ego and, and want to always be in control, yeah. the company can never grow. But it's very um, hard, right? You know, how can founders... It's easy to read. No, I was just saying, like, how many founders can, can... can How can founders let go of that ego of, like, like you know, not being in control well, I think all the time? To us, it has started with... Um, it started with the way that we are a company, which is built on transparency. And keep in mind that we are a Norwegian company by heart. We started a company out of Norway. And Norway has a different philosophy when it comes to transparency. Uh, as an example, in Norway, all um, salaries are publicly available. So you can look up how much I'm making a year. You can even look up how much I have in, in, in the bank. Um, the, the, like the, the hierarchies in companies is extremely flat. Uh, like CEOs sit in open landscapes with the rest of their uh, of of the teams, and I think you have to build that transparency first, that trust, because it's first when I know that we had that transparency. I know that people said exactly what they wanted to say to me, 
that's also when I could trust them that they were the right people for the roles and that I could let, let go. Because I think like letting go as a founder, it's all about trust. You trust that you have the best team in place. You trust that you hired the right people and you trust that they will make the best decision, this, this decisions on behalf of the company, which you happen to be a large uh, share, shareholder in. Uh, to us, it's uh, the trust piece has been, uh, has been pivotal, at least from my side, to say, okay, you know what? I'm good at some stuff that I think will take us very far as a company, but hey, this, this, this things, there are other people that are rather higher that are way, way better, and I trust them 100%. Thomas, I love that humility you bring to the podcast and just in general. I think a lot of the founders that are listening right now can really take a, a huge part of that away and, and you know, you know, let that mindset soak in. And, you know, diving more into now funding, right? There's a lot of startups that fail because they run out of capital before they find product market fit or market segment. Um, you were, you are the first of your kind doing human mobility. Um, and it takes time to pivot and find that right solution while running lean, you know, as you were educating the market. Based on your story, how did you overcome the challenges of finding yeah, the right market segment? We had segment? a very clear vision of what we wanted to do as a company. It was a vision about understanding human mobility so other companies can use this data to make better products and to make better uh, de decisions. Like that has always been something that KJ and I wanted to do. Uh, however, and th this is where I kind of see what companies do, do wrong is that they have a vision and, this, and they plan out the strategy or, or tactics, but they don't change the tactics quick enough. And I think that's something that we have been pretty good at is that we have very clear vision. We have never deviated from that vision, but the tactics have changed multiple times. As an example, initially we wanted to use beacon data, like data from these Bluetooth sensors to understand human mobility. The whole industry was like very bullish on that and it will be like 500 beacons by, by, by 2020 or hundreds of companies, small startups were kind of born around that beacon e ecosystem. But then suddenly we realized there isn't that much beacons out there. And rather than kind of really sticking to that, yes, we have to collect uh, this data by using beacons, we said, ah, let's shift, let's focus on other data assets. And I think that's something that you have to, uh, you, have, you have to be very willing to change tactics quickly uh, and often, as long as you kind of stay on your same vision. And it, you know, this is a, I, you've brought up so many topics that like, that are not talked about as much because people, so people focus so much on high yeah. level stuff, like just strategy in general. Like it's one thing to switch your strategy, right. And stay consistent with it for a certain amount of time, but being more granular in the tactics around those strategies, you know, you're, you're talking about changing quickly. How quickly are you changing these tactics? Like how quickly are you like, okay, like these results are not panning out the way I wanted to. I need to that, that. that depends very much on exactly what you are doing, but it can be, well, it can be that you change in a week, right? Like you walk in on Monday and say, ah, this is exactly what we, what we want to do. You have all the data points that, uh, that kind of pointed towards doing a certain things. But then during that, that week, you gather another two, three data points that suddenly told you that, ah, you should go in the other direction. And I think this is update something that I'm focusing uh, heavily on. I think if it's as a CEO and founder, what you can do since you're like, you can't be in the details of everything. 
But what you can do is listen for market signals. I'm I'm huge on market signals. I love listening to kind of like what am I reading in the press? What is the client saying? What is the team saying? Because you you tend to have this more um, helicopter view, uh, and you're able to listen to a lot of conversations. And at least I see that as one of my key uh, key jobs going going forward now is to is to make sure that. Uh, we as a company are really good at interpreting market signals quickly. And and speaking of like market signals, um, how like what were you defined as like the few market signals at least for you that were like okay like this tactic is working? Um, isn't it sometimes that you know the market may like it? And then suddenly the results start to plateau. Uh, I mean, what are some things, simple things founders can look for to be like, okay, yeah, these market signals are yeah, working? Yeah. Um, Besides sales. It's all about being out there with, with clients. Uh, it's all about spending tons of time with clients, either it's existing ones or new ones. I very much like to go to conferences uh, and not to listen to kind of what is being spoken about, but to test out hypotheses with people that I meet. Uh, because people are, Think about it. If you if you want to test out the hypothesis or something new with someone in like just during the day, send him an email. He's too busy, so he isn't that receptive to it because his other priorities. That's the great thing about uh, some conferences is that people are very much in the mood to either make new relationships and make new business or to think differently. So. I usually go to conferences and everything like stuff that is new that's here that we are working on or I want to have feedback on something, ask like five to ten, ten people, and then you get the gist of it. Because you have, you have to understand the context of when you are asking for that kind of stuff. And I see and, and, and are you keeping funding at the top of the mind as you're switching uh, your tactics? No, no, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I think Funding comes as a result of having the right vision and you're executed on the right tactics. And what are some common mistakes um, founders and seed stages make when they're trying to find the right market segment? I think like, one, one is the one that I mentioned. I think that's, that's the one I want to highlight most is the, like they, they don't change tactics quickly enough, so they get kind of too stuck uh, to it. Uh, the second is uh, being out there with clients, with, with prospects, with the industry to really learn what they are, like what they want. Uh, I think that's, that's something that we did, that, that we did uh, at Unicast. Uh, we, like, we sold stuff way before we had been built. Like, we were a PowerPoint company for quite a long time while we tried to figure out what exactly does, does the market want. And like not, not sitting in the basement, uh, quietly building something, you have to be out there in the market with clients and just test everything that you believe that they, they want to buy. Which is interesting because a lot of people think that if they'll build the product first, then go to market, and then yeah, they realize the market doesn't want the product. That can just like dictate and build, build uh, something. Like building a company is hard work, man. It's, it's constantly kind of living in what's uncertainty. Like no one really wants to buy what you are building. You have, you have to convince them. You have to try to find like what are their needs. And we are even kind of experiencing that that now to a great extent. Like we have to figure out how can companies use human mobility data. 
if that's either to uh, understand kind of where they should open up a store or if it's to decide uh, what kind of stocks to bet on on, on the stock a- exchange. Like we always ask ourselves, like what are the business challenges that we can help people with? So Thomas, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced around creating the right messaging when finding the right segment to target, right? I feel like a lot of founders, I think most founders starting off have this product or this thesis of the market they're targeting and they have to keep refining and keep refining. And it's kind of like finding the finding the right part of the lock in the dark until you have actually unlocked it. And then you then I guess that goes into product market fit. But, you know, what are some challenges you've experienced around doing the same thing? Yeah, I think and this this challenge was in particular very relevant to Unicast because we were like one of the f- first companies that were trying to tackle the human mobility data category. So we've been we've been knocking our head towards the wall tons of times trying to figure out like how can we how how can we tell clients how can we tell the market about the benefits of our our data and I think one of the challenges that I wish that we did differently was that we, I think we, we, we thought we knew what the market wanted. So we thought that, okay, we have all these insights about the data. We know exactly how other clients or other companies are going to utilize the data, but we were wrong. So I think a lot of the challenge lies in being super open-minded and to not have that very strong, um, to not have very strong uh, feelings or uh, thoughts about exactly what you're going to do, but like A-B test, like you, ha- you have to be out there. You have to talk to different clients in different parts of the organization to see what actually sticks. And I mentioned previously that conferences is one of my kind of play- playgrounds where I can speak to a lot of people within a short amount of time. And one thing that we did, which... This was really when it was eye-opening to us uh, was that we have to craft the message differently for different parts of the organization. Like a sales team are looking at our products and our value proposition completely different than the product team. And then you have the marketing team that sees what we can offer in a totally different perspective to make their life easier. So we, we, we actually brought in um, recently a CRO uh, and he introduced us to something very exciting, which I wish that we did earlier, which is buying personas. So you really kind of map out your buyers, you map out the organizations that you're looking to sell to, and then you create a strategic and a tactical plan for each of these organizations and for each of these individuals so that you are like spot on. You know exactly what makes the product team get excited you know exactly what makes the marketing team get excited so like buying personas that was new 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 to me uh, i wish that we had learned that earlier and invested more in it let's talk more about like the buyer's persona um and it goes hand in hand with a b testing um how, like what are some steps to, like creating like simple steps like very high level to create like a buyer persona I, it's pretty smart that you said, you know, to target a, a product team differently compared to a marketing team, compared to a sales team. Um, but like, how do you create a bar persona for like an organization you're targeting? What are some like few small things someone can do just quickly? Yeah. So like, first of all, I'm not the expert in creating buying buying uh, personas, but I know it, 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 it is all about real understanding who your audiences are, like who are your clients, like what are their challenges? 
what are the problems and how can you make their life easier and how can that be matched with the products and the services that you are selling and then it's very much about creating a plan and test this out because you will be wrong the first time you try to uh, use a new buying persona strategy but like after some time, after some trialing and failing, and you see how the market or the clients respond, you start to get it right. Like speaking of like, um, you know, going to our next question, you know, trialing and arrows and it, the, the time you take to test this out and testing the buyer persona out, how lean should founders run when trying to find the right traction? Um, I feel like so many people burn their cash way on before finding a product market fit. I feel like some are very like super cash tight and sometimes that blocks them from moving forward as fast. Yeah. I mean, how, how lean should you run from your experience? Well, if I were to choose, I would rather like burn quick and kind of move fast than being super, super tight on the cash because it, it costs money to learn. It costs money to invest in product. It costs money to do marketing. It costs money to hire the best, the best people. I'm always like, and I will, I will be more afraid of looking back and saying, oh shit, we didn't move fast enough. Or I rather want to be in the position where we moved too fast and we broke some eggs than we were just kind of sitting there and waiting. Because I think if you are a startup like that, what you have is you have limited of time and you have limited of resources. So what you really need is momentum. And when you first see that momentum happens, this is when I, this is when I see a lot of, founders um, they are not confident in themselves and we had this challenge as well luckily we had some smart people around us that said guys you need to step on the gas now so i think that that is that's the biggest challenge is to okay when do you see these small data points that allows us to say okay let's do it and i would say i i would believe just made based on my experience and talking to a lot of uh, companies and founders is that Unfortunately, there's a tendency that companies are to, uh, they move too slow uh, and they're too afraid of stepping on the gas. Well, they should do that. They should be aggressive, but always mindful. And they should be, uh, they should easily and very quickly kill their darlings. And Thomas, I mean, one last question. If you could tell yourself something you know now, um, and what would you tell your younger self? I mean, what would you tell your younger self and what you know now and why? Um, yeah, I would maybe kind of boil it down to three three things. Uh, be patient. I mean, I wasn't patient enough in my earlier years of Unicast. Now I know that it takes time to build a business. It takes time to move the market, right? And I would also say, well, fundraising, it's important and it takes time. And it never takes two months. It never takes three three, three months. It takes six to 12 months to do a proper fundraising and the final kind of recommendations that i would give to myself is like focus on the commercial very very early i think this is where this is where a lot of companies do wrong is that they are too obsessed with the tech and too obsessed with the with the products and they don't get out of the door quickly enough to test the product in the market i agree clients like and if if they churn that's totally fine because you gain so much learning. So yeah, don't be afraid. Get out there as quickly as possible. I, f- I feel like a lot of founders, like they, they, they really think they know the market really well, but when they step out the door, they, they're, they're pretty shocked by what they learned and then they have to pivot fast. It is, right? And like uh, 
KJ and myself, prior to Unicast, we were part of building the music streaming service title. And I think that's where we were just way too slow there. Like Spotify took us. Like they just, they were faster. They put out more products in, 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 in the market. They got more, more music from the record labels quicker. And I wish that we were uh, like reacting faster to the market and we weren't that afraid of making mistakes. And that, that I think is something some differences between the Nordic culture and the U.S. culture, because in U.S. it's it's more acceptable to fail, while in the Nordics we're still kind of trying to get there, but failure is still something that is not very much talked about. So uh, I do encourage kind of all my all my fellow founders out of the the Nordics to be a bit bolder and to go out there, do some mistakes, and test. Thank you for uh, taking the time for a podcast, Thomas. Likewise, Suma. It was great to be on. Thank you. Thanks again to our sponsor, Brex, the first corporate credit card for startups. Brex was built for founders managing growing tech businesses and has been adopted by some of the best startups. Brex perfected the corporate credit card by rebuilding the credit card processing and issuing technology from scratch. Brex offers instant online signup with no founder liability or security deposit required. By underwriting your company based on equity raising cash in the bank, Brex can offer limits 10 to 20 times higher than other credit cards. Brex also comes with simple expense management software, so you never have to save a receipt again. It helps you run your startup the way it's supposed to be run. I've tried Brex myself, and honestly, it's magical. Sign up for Brex at brex.com. Listeners can get card fees waived by entering the code UNSEXY during signup. Brex, the first corporate credit card for startup. For any of our listeners who found this podcast helpful, click the subscribe button and follow us on our social handles that we provide in our description. We are always looking for more challenging topics to dive deep into. If you have any great topics we could talk about on The Unsexy Startup, please send a message to the email that I've provided in the link below. Until next episode, this is Smai Parikh signing off.